0: That my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land, But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself. Put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. When there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and there came a messenger unto Job, and said, The oxen were plowing, and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them, and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another, and said, The fire of God is fallen from heaven, and hath burned up the sheep and the servants, and has consumed them. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another, and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another, and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness, And smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then Job arose, and rent his mantle, and shaved his head, and fell down upon the ground, and worshipped. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charge God foolishly. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this word from the book of Job. We pray that you would open our understanding. Lord, help us to learn from Job how to worship. Lord, give us understanding and give us your light that we might worship with Job. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why do you worship God? Why? Is it because it is pleasurable? Is it because it's enjoyable? Is it because of the many things that He has done for you or because of the many things that He has given you? These are all good things and should be involved in our worship. We should enjoy worship. We should take delight and pleasure in worship. We should praise God for what he has done for us and what he has given to us. But there is a deeper motive that should run like a mighty river, like an undercurrent in our worship. And that is that God deserves to be worshipped because of who he is. We should worship God first and foremost, not because of what he gives us, but because of who he is. We should worship God because he is worthy of worship and praise. So, Satan's question here in verse 9, Doth Job fear God for naught? Is an important question, not exalting the devil, but we need to understand why did Job fear God. Job is a great example for us. His life was full of worship. Even when life crashed in around him and all was overwhelming him and he was hurting more than he could express, he worshipped God as we shall see today. It is my prayer that this message will inspire in every believer a heart of worship for the glory of our sovereign God. And that those who do not worship or worship simply for the wrong reasons would be awakened to the reality of the emptiness of worship, which falls short of God's glory. So let's dive into Job chapter 1. The first five verses are a sweet story or a sweet A beautiful story. We see first of all, verse 1, we see Job's blameless conduct. Job was a godly man. He was a man who was perfect and upright, feared God and eschewed or shunned, avoided evil. He was a man who sought to honor and fear God in all he did. So this was a godly man. We see Job's blameless conduct conduct. We heard last week about a godly elder being blameless, and Job is blameless here. He's perfect and upright, not meaning he's sinless, but he's blameless. He's he's an exemplary character, an exemplary godly man. Job was also a man with a comfortable situation. We see that in verses 2 and 3. Job had a comfortable situation. God had blessed him. He had prospered him. He was rich. He had, he had cattle. He had sheep. He had camels. He had children, multiple children, which was a blessing, understood to be a blessing in those days. It's still a blessing, but it's not always understood that way. He had donkeys. He had a great household, and he was the greatest of all the men of the East. He was a rich and prosperous man he was a manager he was a, a a wise and godly man but job was also a faithful intercessor we see that in 4 and 5 we see as his children gather together for parties or fellowship or whatever it is that job is seeking god on behalf of his children. He's worshiping God. He's interceding for them. He is a priest in his home. He's praying for his children. Here is a blessed man, a Psalm 1 man, a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, who stands not in the way of sinners, who sits not in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Job is a man who worships God, a man who intercedes for his family, He is a priest in his home. And so we have a beautiful picture in Job 1 1 through 5. That was the view from earth. What we can see on earth. But then God takes us to see a view from heaven. And it's a very different scene because this is behind the scenes. We see what's going on. And it says in verse 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. The sons of God, I believe, refers to angels. And Satan was with them at this point. I believe that, I could be wrong, but I believe that before Christ died on the cross and rose again, that Satan had access To heaven, but Christ does mention later on that I beheld Satan as lightning cast out of heaven. But this had not yet happened, I believe. It appears that Satan still had access to before God. And so, Satan, the 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 great accuser, the great the devil, comes with these angels. He is also an angel, though a fallen angel. He comes to appear before the king, the great God Almighty. And he gives, there's interaction, there's actually accusations made about Job. But it starts with the Lord. The Lord introduces and he, he asks Satan, where are you coming from? Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. Reminding us of 1 Peter 5:8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The devil is real, and he's a real entity, a real person, and he's really trying to attack Christians and to accuse them before God, and accuse them in their own heart, and he is trying to tempt them and destroy them. But it may surprise you, but God does not hide Job from the devil. He doesn't say, don't look at Job. Job's my special guy, you know. But he says, have you thought about Job? Wow, God is not afraid of what Satan can do to Job. In a way, he's kind of showing off Job, but he's, he's not really. But he's telling Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and sh- exhueth or shunneth evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, doth Job fear God? For not Satan's accusation is is summarized in his question does job fear God for nothing basically the devil is accusing job of having ulterior motives in his worship he's saying that in verse 10, hast thou not made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Haven't you just put protection and blessing and, and kept him and done all this? Now it's blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. You have just done all of this blessing and that's why he's worshiping you. Of course people would worship you if you did that. That's what the devil is saying. The devil is pointing at the motives of Job's worship. Why did Job fear God? That's the question. Why? Was it for the comforts and the pleasures of this life? Was it for the protection that God provided, that hedge about him on every side? Was it for the blessing of the work of his hands and the substance being increased in the earth, was it for that? Was the devil right? So many do fear God for these reasons, right? So many in our day, if they fear God, profess to fear God, they fear Him or profess to fear Him for, we could say, mercenary motives. To get something. Maybe they go to church to get something for themselves, or maybe they read the Bible to get something for themselves. It's the kind of, if you do this, then I'll do this. Remember Jacob in Genesis 28, 20 to 22, he made a vow with God and kind of an immature faith, I would say, because he vowed to God that if you do these things, if you keep me in my way and bring me back, then you'll be my God and and I'll worship you and this will be God's house and all of that. We see some immaturity in his faith. He's still learning and growing in his faith. But it's the idea of if you do this, then I'll do this. We should worship God no matter what, right? Now, Jacob, we can understand Many today have what we could consider a Santa Claus God. Give me God. Looking at what he can give me and how he can do for me. True faith fears God for his own sake, for who he is, and not just what he gives. We are to be thankful for what God gives us. Definitely. But if that is the only reason we fear God, what will happen when He does not give us what we want or what we think we need? We need a balance of perspective. And this balance of perspective is seen in the Scriptures. David says in Psalm 18.3, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from mine enemies. God is the God who saves his people from their enemies. He later in the same psalm, verse 46, the Lord lives and blessed be my rock and let the God of my salvation be exalted. So we do praise God for what he does for us. Amen. We do praise God for his salvation. We exalt him for his salvation. Yet we see Job. And even we see David in his life going through many different trials. He even loses the kingdom for a while and he's wandering out in the wilderness as his son is pursuing him for his life. And David says in Psalm 34, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Amen. So we see that balance and we need to have that balance in our minds of the reality of both affliction and deliverance in the lot of the righteous. There is affliction. There is suffering. There is pain. There is trials. But yet there is deliverance. Sometimes it is the deliverance of taking away the trial. Other times the deliverance of bringing us through the trial. Other times the deliverance is yet waiting to come in the time when we are with Christ. In the case of some whom God brings through that river of death. And all of us will go through that one day. Both affliction and deliverance are realities in a believer's life. God allows afflictions, many sometimes, but he also brings deliverance. The devil's assertion here is this. In verse 11, he says, but put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. So the devil's accusation is this. If you take away what you've given him, all this stuff, that's why he's worshiping you. So if you take it away, he's just going to curse you. Well, was the devil right? What an assertion and an accusation. Satan is basically saying that Job's faith is not real that his faith is false and it won't stand the test. So what does God do? God gives Satan permission to tempt or test Job, to take what he has, and he takes it all. He takes the the animals, the the oxen, the asses, the, the camels, and even his children, all of his things. We need to understand the sovereignty of God here, that God is in control, that God is the one who can permit these things to happen. He's not the author of evil, but he's in control and he does overrule it. Job loses it all. He basically loses his entire savings. His entire bank account is in those animals. And that's his wealth and his future, his security and his livelihood. And so Job is bankrupt. He's broke. He has nothing And Job responds to his loss. Does Job curse God to his face? Verse 20, no, he does not. Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground. So Job mourns, right? And that's a natural expression of what we would expect when someone has this great loss. But then it says, and worshipped. Think of it. Job, in the midst of all of this, yet he has time for worship. He has a heart for worship. Job bows before the king of heaven and worships the God who gave and the God who took away. Job recognizes God's sovereign right over all that he had. He recognized the hand of God. He doesn't say, God gave and the devil took away. But instead he says, the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. He recognized God's sovereignty, that God did it and that God had a right to do it. And he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. This is worship. This is not a natural response. Mourning is a natural response, but worship in the midst of pain and suffering is not a natural response. And in all of this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. He didn't get angry and accuse God. He didn't become bitter. He didn't curse God to his face like he was accused that he would do. He didn't do it. Well, chapter 2 continues the saga. And in chapter 2, we see Satan's second accusation as the devil comes again to present himself before the Lord. And, of course, showing clearly these, these interactions show that the inferiority of the devil to, Christ, to God. That God is the king and the devil is a creature. He's not an equal. It's not like the powers of good and evil, but this is a created being giving account to his maker. So there's an interaction of the devil and God, and Satan contends here as God again presents Job before him, and he says, He still holds fast his integrity, in verse 3, And though thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. In other words, the devil is saying, You have let me touch all his stuff, but I haven't got to his body. If I can get his body, then he will curse you. But pour forth thine hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. Satan contends that God, if God will allow him to touch Job's body, he will curse him to his face. And God gives him permission. He gives him permission to bring affliction to his body but he says save his life don't take his life and the devil smites job with sore boils these sores all over his body from the sole of his foot to his top of his head these horrible pussy sores that are painful probably itching and infected and he's sitting there in the midst of the ashes, scraping himself with this pottery, this broken pottery. Job is at the bottom of the barrel. He's down at the, in the depths. And even his wife, who you would imagine is supporting him, I'm sure, at times, and encouraging him, we would hope, but his wife fails him at this point. And his wife says, do you still retain your integrity? Basically, the idea of his perfectness or his uprightness, his blamelessness, his godliness, his fear of God. Do you still retain that? Let it go. Curse God and die. We don't understand exactly what this came out of. Maybe the frustration of losing her children maybe the frustration and bitterness from losing all the comforts and pleasures and riches that they had. But there is coming out of his wife this call to curse God and die. Basically, what the devil had told God that, he, that Job would do, he will curse you to your face. So does Job listen to his wife? Adam did. But Job didn't. Job says, verse ten. But he said unto her, "Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil?" In all this, did not Job sin with his lips? Job recognized the the emptiness of the counsel of his wife. He recognized that she was she was not thinking clearly. And he recognized something important, that we should welcome what God gives us, whether it's good or whether it's bad in our perspective. The idea of evil isn't like moral evil, but he's talking about calamity, distress, trouble, anguish, and trials. He's saying we should welcome what God gives us, whatever it is. And so in all of this, Job didn't sin with his lips. He didn't curse God and die. He didn't curse God to his face. But Job had a submissive heart in the midst of his trial. He recognized God's sovereignty in all of this, that God was in control and that God knew what he was doing and that he had a wise plan. And he recognized God's good purpose and he was determined to worship God no matter the circumstances. So we see in in chapter 1 and chapter 2, Job's heart of worship. His fear of God coming through and his rejection of bitterness, anger, frustration with God, and accusation of God. This could be epitomized in Job 13.15 when Job says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Amen. In other words, no matter what God does, I'm going to trust him and worship him and fear him. So the question for us is, did Job fear God for naught? No. Did Job fear God for, for naught? In the sense of what the devil's asking, did Job fear God for nothing? In a sense, he was willing to fear God, whether he took away everything or not. Why did Job worship God? For the things that God gave, for the stuff that he gave, for his kids. Job, Job's worship had a deeper motive because he still worships when all is gone. Wow. How would we do if we were Job? Job. How about his own health? When Job's health is all gone and his wife is, is basically turned against him and his faith, there he is. What does he do? He still worships God. He refuses to renounce God. He refuses to curse God. He recognizes that God is good in hard times as well as good times. That God is wisely and lovingly in control. He's the sovereign king over the universe so my question for you tonight is why do you worship God why do you worship God is it for the things that he gives you is it for the family he's given you maybe for the health or maybe the comforts and the money in the bank or whatever it might be or will you worship God if he takes it all away Will you worship God if he puts a blight on all of your pleasures? If you can't, and if you won't, then maybe those things are your true gods. Maybe you are making God in your own image, and your own likeness. Maybe you have made and fashioned a God of your own liking. A real worshiper is willing to let God be God. Real worship is worship, Jesus said in John chapter 4, in spirit and in truth. It comes from the heart. It's worship that is for God's sake and not for our sakes. It's worship that is for His glory. In the book of Psalms, we often see that there is a worship that is exuberant, that is joyful, that is filled with singing and gladness. And we praise the Lord for that, that we can partake in that. But there is also a worship, and we sometimes see it in the Psalms, and we see it here in Job, that may not be filled with singing, but that comes from a mourning broken heart that bows submissively before the sovereign, loving, and good hand of an almighty God, submitting the soul into his hand. We need to get a better view of the sovereignty of God in our personal situations. We need to understand like Job, God has given, God has taken away. Blessed be God. So do trials lead you to worship? They should. And if they don't, we should be concerned. If they don't, maybe you are worshiping for the wrong reasons. And we do struggle at times, but God leads us through trials to worship Him more, if we are true believers. The world and the hypocrite, when they experience trials, it drives them from God instead of to God. But for the true believer, trials should lead him to his Savior. Do you recognize the sovereign loving hand of God in your personal situation? The sovereign loving hand of God in your personal situation. Job's question throughout this book, as, we, as you read on through it, you see Job's question is just that little question that we, we ask sometimes when we're going through trials. The question, why? Why? Why didn't I just die? You know, when I was in the womb, That's what Job starts out with. So a lot of why. We are often tempted with that same question. But Job never quite gets an answer from God on exactly why. He doesn't get that view that we get from heaven looking at the angels and the devil and God and the whole interaction. He just knows what we see on earth. Unless God revealed it to him later, we don't know. But God did give Job a view. A view of his power, of his glory, of his sovereignty, of his greatness, of his majesty, and of his wisdom. You see that in Job 38 to 41. God just says, where were you when I did all this stuff? And Job's like, reminded of his creatureliness. And God shows Job that he's the wisest, he's the one in control, and he made it all. And he has no accidents, no oops, no slip-ups, no failures. And Job's response in chapter 40, verse 4, Job's response is a response of worship. Chapter 40 verse 4, then Job answered the Lord and said, behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. Then in verse, chapter 42 and verse 6, wherefore I abhor, I'll start in verse 5, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but, but now mine eye seeth thee, wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job starts with worship, but Job also ends with worship. We see his struggles in the middle. We see his conflicts with his friends who doubt his sincerity and his holiness and all of that. We see his own struggles with faith and yet with questions and doubts. But at the end of it all, God reveals himself to Job, humbles Job, and Job comes to that point of brokenness, submission again, and worship. Job had got on a high horse of questioning God, but now he humbles himself in submission to the majestic sovereign of the universe. Do you find yourself coming back to worship? Even though you have struggled with God's providence and purposes, God calls you back to worship. We need a fresh view of the sovereign God on the throne of the universe Like Revelation 4 says, Behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Who is on the throne of your life? Are you desperately trying to maintain order and keep everything in control, or are you resting in the fact that one sits on the throne? In the midst of the sins and sufferings of God's people, Revelations talks about that. Revelation does. In the midst of the terrors and tumults of the nations, you see the throne. It's over all. And on that throne, the king is ruling. And he's sovereign over it all. Or we could look at another illustration as Matthew 14 has it as the winds and the waves increase and threaten to capsize the little boat of our lives. Like the disciples on that Sea of Galilee and that stormy night as they were in the midst of the storm. And God gave them a glimpse of the Lord Jesus out there walking on the sea. You know, when I think of Jesus walking on the water, I think of this still, calm water and Him just walking on it. It seems kind of like it would work, but it wasn't like that. It was crashing, crazy waves of the sea, wind and storm, and the the water going up and down, and the disciples couldn't hardly keep up, keep the water out of the boat, and they see Jesus walking on the water, walking on the storm, calmly in control of it all, the king, over the waves. And when they cry out, he says, It is I. Be not afraid. This calm statement in the midst of this terrible storm, in the midst of this this unbelievable, terrifying event. And this is truly the ruler of the waves. So what was their response when Christ comes to them into the boat? It says that they worshiped. When they see the ruler of the waves, when they see the power of Christ over the storm in the, in the, in the sea, when they see him stilling that, that, that storm, then they worshiped. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God Matthew fourteen thirty three. Job didn't experience that, but Job had his eye on the one who walked on the sea. Job had his eye on the one on the throne. Not perfectly. He didn't understand it all like you and I do. But he understood that God was in control and that he didn't need to fight God. That it was wrong for him to fight God. He recognized God's sovereign hand and he worshiped. So, my question for us today is Are you worshiping God? Why or why not? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you. We thank you for this wonderful account of, of Job. And Lord, we have not done justice to it all. Lord, we ask you that you would put in us a heart of worship. Lord, no matter what in our lives happens, may we worship you. May we be led to worship you by all things that you bring into our lives. Lord, that you would get the glory and the honor and the praise that you deserve from our lives, that we would not withhold the worship that you deserve. Lord, we pray your mercy upon each one in this room. Lord, some have never, never worshipped. Lord, have mercy on their souls, that today they might begin to worship God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please stand with me. <clears throat> now the God of peace that brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, Through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Amen.